Hello, everyone, and welcome. My name is Jeff Wilson, and I'm chairman of WAM Capital. Look, thank you very much for calling into the webinar today. Um, as you're aware, it's your company. You know, you're the owners of the company, and and myself and you know the other people at Wilson Asset Management, uh, the portfolio managers, you know, the lead portfolio manager, Oscar Oberg, who'll be on the call today, and and the portfolio one of our portfolio managers. Tobias Yao, um, who'll be on the call today. Um, you know, we're here because you know you allow us to be here. Now we'd ha had a number of people had been calling us, you know, questioning you know, about dividends, uh, uncertainty, um, et cetera, et cetera. So what we thought is, look, why don't we? Um, you know, we just announced our dividend yesterday and the performance figures. You now let's have a a call with shareholders and really open it up for questions and answers. Yeah, we haven't got any specific um, uh, you know, um, you know, script to go through. It's really Q&A. And thank you. you know, there's a lot of people that have um, you know, sent in questions. Uh, thank you very much for doing that. In terms of the moderating of the questions, we've got our um, you know, senior corporate affairs advisor, Camilla Cox with us today, and she's going to run the Q&A. And why don't I now pass over to you, Camilla, and why don't you um, run the Q&A? And initially, we're going to start off with there's a lot of you know, a number of questions that we had sent in. What we've tried to do with the questions you know, about dividends, we've tried to um, you know, keep them, um, you know, if there's two questions, you know, your ability to keep paying dividends, you know, we've tried, you know, we've just come out as, you know, as one question. Some of them have a little bit of a twist on them. Um, yeah, so then we've we've added those. But why don't I pass over to you, Camilla? Thank you. Thanks, Jeff. We're actually going to start off with Oscar today. We had a number of people write in before the webinar, so we're going to kick off with Steve, who wrote into us. He says, Oscar, why have small cap companies underperformed large cap companies so much? And what's your outlook for the next twelve months? Yeah, uh, thanks, Steve, and good afternoon, everyone. Thanks for dialing into the call. So. Yeah, look, a variety of reasons why small caps have underperformed large caps, but largely the um, the damage was done really in the March quarter of last year, and that's when we had a, a combination of Omicron, uh, inflation, of course, the, the Russia-Ukraine war hit us, and small caps in that period underperformed large caps by around 11%, and um, we, of course, underperformed uh, our, our benchmark, the All Ordinaries Index, in that period. So really since that, that point in time, you know, there's been swings and um, swings and roundabouts, I guess, in the performance are largely, you know, we've been more or less in line with the market. Um, but I think um, in terms of going forward, which is, is probably more important, um, we're actually very positive on the outlook for small caps at the moment. In terms of valuations, what we're seeing in the United States is um, we're seeing small caps relative to large caps having valuations that are at actually 25-year lows. And we're seeing all our companies within the portfolio, which really haven't changed that much over the last 12 months, actually trading at very uh, depressed valuations with very strong balance sheets. So we're, we're actually very positive on the outlook uh, for small caps. And we've seen a, a noticeable turn in the market um, really through this January period, which has been very pleasing to see. Thanks, Oscar. Now, Jeff, the next question, we had quite a few shareholders ask this. Um, first person to ask it was Michael, so we'll go with him. Are you confident that the dividend can be maintained at these levels? Uh, and just in terms of our, our ability to pay a dividend, you know, we, we, you broadly, well, a, a fully frank dividend, you need two things. One is you, you need to make a profit um, or have a profit reserve that you can pay it out of. And secondly, for it to be frank, you either pay tax or 
you invest in companies that pay fully frank dividends so you can pass on on their franking. Now, what we try to do is, you know, is be as transparent with you guys as possible. And on a monthly basis, when we announce the monthly NTAs, you, you'll see that what we, um, you know, what we put on the monthly NTAs uh, is the profit reserve. So in theory, that's how much profit that we have at the end of the month um, that we can use to pay out dividends. Now, in WAM Capital, you know, the announcement we made yesterday, um, you know, Oscar and Tobias, um, you know, Sean and Sam, you know, who are managing the portfolio, did a really good job. Um, a very had a very strong January, you know, outperforming the market and up you know, six point six odd percent, uh, and that actually topped up the profit reserve a bit more. And as of the end of January, the profit reserve was fourteen point seven cents. Yeah, you know, that came from our announcement yesterday, um, and um, yeah, you know, so fourteen point seven cents. And with the um, you know, with with the profit reserve, you know, already this month, the NTA has increased um, by about a percent. So the profit reserve um, would would actually be above the fifteen and a half cents is required to pay a, a fully frank dividend um, over the next uh, you know, period over the over the next twelve months. So, but but in terms of to keep paying dividends of that magnitude, and they they are very high dividends, and they are fully franked, um, is we we have to continue to make profit. Thanks, Jeff. A few people have asked about cutting the dividend, and they asked if a small reduction now would offset a larger risk in the future. If you could comment on that. Yeah, I mean, if you look at our dividend policy, and you know, back in oh eight oh nine. You know, Wham Capital had to pay a dividend. I think when we floated Wham Capital, we floated a dollar. Um, the the smallest dividend we've paid each year um, over the twenty three odd years it's been in existence is um, eight cents. So yeah, you know, the, the the least you've got is eight percent fully franked on your initial investment. Um, in, in terms of the, the the logic of cutting the dividend when, when COVID started, uh, um, obviously at the board level, the question was, do we cut the dividend? Um, and the decision at the board level was, no, we won't. We'll keep, maintain at this level uh, because we also had franking credits. So from our perspective is, you know, we know franking credits are best in held in your hands, um, not in our hands, um, you know, as, as in meaning, meaning the company. So what we'll do is we're very happy to pay the higher dividend rate. Now, even though you know, if, if, like everyone else, you know, at the start of COVID, we sort of chopped, chopped our dividend a little bit, then we'd be able to pay you more dividends over a longer period of time. Uh, but you wouldn't have got the full benefit of all the franking and we'd end up having a little bit of excess franking. So in terms of you know, the dividend payment, um, you know, the board has decided we'll keep it at this level while we've got profit reserve, our more we've got franking. Thanks, Jeff. Now, Oscar, Ray, one of our shareholders, his concern is the significant drop in the share price. Could you explain why the share price has suffered such a drop well in excess of the ASX and what we need to do to recover the price? Yeah, sure, and thanks for the question. So I guess um, earlier question we talked about small caps underperforming large caps. That's certainly been one of the reasons, but... And Jeff will probably uh, want to jump in here too. But the uh, the major reason was we were Wham Capital was trading at a significant premium 
uh, to its net tangible assets. And when we had that sell-off in March, for instance, if you had a look at the share price, so the share price through that period really stayed quite flat. So I think at the, the peak at the, or the end of March, I think we, and Jeff, you might remember, but I think we were trading at over 30% premium to its net tangible assets at that time. And so what we've seen is that premium shrink. Um, you know, two, two days ago, for instance, I, I think, you know, before our announcement, we were, we were trading almost at a, at a discount. Um, and that's, as Jeff, we've talked about previously, as, you know, the market uncertainty has continued, small caps has continued to underperform large caps, and there has been some risk around uh, the dividend, um, but which we, we've, we've come out and, and told you uh, uh, yesterday with the announcement. So I think that's the ver- a variety of the reasons. Um, and, you know, hopefully, you know, we've sent a good response to the share price the last couple of days, and fingers crossed we can see small caps outperform in, in 2023. Yeah, and, and just to... Yeah, to um, add to what Oscar's saying, yeah, totally agree, yeah, one hundred percent with what Oscar's saying. Yeah, we were at a big premium to NTA, and then we went to a um, a discount. Yeah, it's not only that. um, Well, and and that's one of the reasons. Yeah, from the board, the WAM Capital board had noticed the share price, obviously, um, and. You know, the fact that the other day it was probably trading at NTA or it could have even been a, a slight discount to NTA. Uh, and, and that's why um, we actually bought forward the other pro- uh, the dividend announcement, um, you know, so we could make sure, you know, we, we wanted shareholders to be fully informed. You know, the plan was to, you know, make the dividend announcement, you know, with a full full result in a couple of weeks' time, Um uh, and what the board decided to do is come out with a dividend announcement and the performance figures, uh, and also to, um, particularly after a strong January, I you know, wanted to shareholders to fully understand um, what the profit was in the profit reserve uh, and how the portfolio had performed. Thanks, Oscar. Thanks, Jeff. Jeff, this one's from Mark, and he's asked, "What role did the share issues related to the buyouts of other underperforming funds have?" Yeah, well, um, the 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 in terms of the various takeovers we've made, and, and if you look at the annual report, we try to summarise it in the annual report. And the one we um, you know, made, the most recent one, it was the Oz Growth and West Oz takeover, and that actually um, that actually boosted our NTA um, by about sixty six odd million dollars. You know, we talk about an annual report, and that's around six cents a share. Um, so it actually was a positive. Now the you know, the assets, the NTA per share increased by that um, because of the takeover, and it actually one of the benefits, one of the secondary benefits, it actually added you know five point two cents of franking. Um, and obviously, you know, as Oscar said, it's been a tough you know, period you know, over the last period. So you know, our ability to pay you know, the fully frank dividend, you know, this one and and the next one. Obviously, that five point two cents, and that's per share, so it's a, a reasonable amount. Um, yeah, as, as, was as a benefit. Thanks, Jeff. Uh, Gary Reynolds has asked: Should WAM Capital look to change the investment process? The, uh, I mean, the simple answer there is no. I mean, there, there are periods of uh, of, of you know, cyclicality in, in all markets. Now, we focus on undervalued growth companies. They tend to be in the mid and small cap space. And over a long period of time, you know, that, that's, that's really delivered. Now, I was, I was looking at some figures 
um, you know, some of the performance. And Oscar, you know, when we had our WAM Capital Board meeting, you know, the other day to, you know, to decide on the dividend, now Oscar was talking about the current state of the market and how, um, you know, he's quite positive on the mid and small cap space. Uh, and, I, and he talked about the 2000, you know, the, the global financial crisis, the GFC back in 2008, 2009. Um, and you look at the performance numbers and you can find it in the WAM Capital Annual Report. So the all odds in the first year of the global financial crisis, the all odds was down 12%. Um, and, and, and it was mainly, you know, what, happened in, what happens in a lot of these uh, sort of negative periods is, the, the mid and small cap companies, they really get um, their share prices fall a lot quicker and a lot you know, earlier you know, than the large caps. Um, but our portfolio, this is Wham Capitals, was down 23%. So we underperformed by nearly 11%. Um, and I think when we were talking, Oscar was paralleling you know, to that sort of 08, 09 period. And then in 2009, when the large caps fell and the index was down 22-odd percent, uh, when capital outperformed the index by about 19%. It was down you know, a few percent, but it still was significant outperformance. So that was that was just, you know, Oscar, Oscar actually brought it to my attention. You know, he thought it was a similar situation to that. So, you know, back in 08, you might ch- you say, oh, look, let's change our strategy. <laughs> let's go for it. Yeah, from from small caps to the larger caps, and then you, you unfortunately you miss the bounce. So to me, it's all about being flexible. You know, I understand that, and you know, if we believed the the strategy didn't add value, um, you know, then uh, then we, then we would look at uh, at changing it. But it clearly does add value, and there's just some periods where you know there's quite a bit of um, you know, th- there's a bit of pain, and and you've got to ride through them. And it's really about how. Yeah, we've got bull markets and bear markets. You're always going to lose money in bear markets. The, the question is how quickly you make that money back. Uh, and then, um, you know, back in, I think the GFC, I think it took, you know, it took, it might have taken the market sort of five or six years to get back to its previous high. And I think Wham Capital, it took it, you know, it took, we took Wham Capital, you know, two and three quarter years. And then, of course, you're making money again. So. Now, we all know the market's going to be cyclical. It's very hard to pick the bottom, very hard to, you know, guess the top. Um, but, you know, to me, it's, you know, you've got to stick to stick to your knitting uh, and something that's, that works, and um, even though it might be a tough period. Thanks, Jeff. Oscar, we've got a stock-specific question from Robin now. She says, I'd like to know why you have LaVisa as one of your top 10 stocks when they do not pay employees correct wages and conditions and currently have a class action suit against them. Can you comment on this? Yeah, sure. No, thanks Thanks for the question. So the, um, we've owned LaVisa for quite some time, um, probably about two or three years, really. It's been a fantastic story. Great management team, great board. Um, really, it's all about a global rollout strategy. Um, take their jewellery shops effectively um, through to the United States. They're entering China now and South America. Has been a consistent outperformer, outperforming at results. So it's been a very good stop for us uh, over the years. Um, in relation to to that comment, so there is a proposed class action. Um, it's it's one individual that we understand. There was some noise around this uh, in early December. 
the company didn't even make an announcement on it. So it, the, the view is it's, it's, it's not material at this stage. So we're keeping an eye on it. But for us, if, if there was something, they've got a tremendous balance sheet, no debt, lots of cash. Um, but something something we're monitoring at the moment. We don't necessarily see it as a major issue at this stage. Thanks, Oscar. Tobias, Jeremy's written in. Jeremy's actually based in Adelaide. He was reading the advertised this morning, so syndicated from The Australian. He saw the write-up on the WAM Capital result and Oscar commenting on the tourism sector. Can you expand on Oscar's comments and what your thoughts are on the sector? Yeah, th thanks for the question. Look, we are very uh, bullish the tourism sector. We have quite a few holdings. Um, so companies like Fl uh, Webjet, Flight Center, uh, Event, uh, IDB Education, uh, Tourism Holdings. Um, so these are direct... Uh, exposures to the tourism sector. We also have indirect exposures like uh, U-Media, uh, which is an out-of-homes uh, media player. Now, we are bullish both inbound and outbound. So we think over the next 12 months, um, there's going to be a lot more flights. Um, I think Cafe um, ha has 17 flights now per day versus a month ago, it's, it's zero. So we think the number of flights will be hotel rates will continue to stay elevated and potentially go up further as we get more tourism coming into Australia. So, you know, these dynamics really help the companies that we've invested in. Um, and, you know, as you know, these companies have um, enjoyed pretty good operating leverage when the top line is growing. And so we think that recovery will continue over the next 12 months. And, you know, that's why we, we're pretty heavily invested in the space. And I think one of the, the more positive developments there is really around China. I think that's taken everyone by surprise about how quickly they've wanted to open up and actually open their, their doors again, really, to to countries globally. So we do think that inbound tourism from China is, is going to be the next leg of growth for, for a number of these companies. And, you know, we have been talking about the tourism sector for some time, but there there's still some undiscovered gems there, really, like Experience Co., is our largest holding in the WAM microcap portfolio, EXP. We really like that stock. That's um, very undervalued, and we think the shares... Yeah, once it once it once it returns to normal, could actually double from here. So there's a lot of lot of opportunities in that space right now. Thanks, Oscar Tobias, Jeff. This one's from Sally, and it has come up on webinars in the past. She's asked, "Have you considered providing the performance results with fees and charges taken into account?" Yeah, and and just on that, Sally, like we do that on a, on a six monthly basis mm -hmm. uh, in the you know, half yearly result and, and in the full year result. Now, we give you three levels of performance. Now, we give you the performance you know, before fees. And um, the reason, you know, we sort of like that or I like that as, as looking at various managers is because I'm trying to work out if the manager uh, is good compared to the index. Now, everyone has different fee structures and different cost structures. Um, now, and, you know, we're not a managed fund. We're a listed investment company, which is, you know, is a little different because there's also costs, um, you know, director's costs, you know, shareholders' costs uh, that are in the, um, yeah, in, in you know, cost to the company. Um, and we also do, um, you know, the NTA performance. Now, that's after those costs. It's after the, you know, um, any management fees, all expenses, you know, any performance fee. Um, so that's the NTA performance. And then also we do total shareholder return, which is, now, we, we were talking about earlier, you know, there's been a few questions about, you know, why is the share price performed so poorly? You know, I think, you know, Oscar was saying at some point, at one point we're at a 30% premium, but June last year we're at a 22% premium. Uh, and now we're, well, literally, you know, when we made the announcement 
um, a couple of days ago, we were trading at NTA. So that's assuming, and you know, that's putting aside, you know, whether the portfolio went up or down. You, you're going to lose twenty two percent. You know, the premium's gone. So that that twenty two percent premium's gone. Um, yeah, so that has you know, a, a significant negative impact. Thanks, Jeff. And you touched on profits reserve earlier, but if we could just go back to it, um, Lucio has asked, why does WAM Capital have a low profits reserved when compared with WAM Global or WAM Leaders? Yeah, and and, and in theory, the and the profit reserve, you know, the the actual uh, what we do is when we make profits you know, on a monthly basis, we uh, the board. Um, books it and puts it into the profit reserve. Now that's an accounting um, uh, trend, yeah, action. Um, and at the end of January, we had fourteen point seven cents in the profit reserve, even though the portfolio the first couple of days it's up a percent. You know, so that would increase the profit reserve, um, but we're not at the end of the month. So let's see how the portfolio performs. So um, and and. So our ability to pay, you know, just getting back to the dividend, 15 and a half cents fully franked. Obviously, we need the franking. You now we had enough franking for the last dividend. Now we need to get, you know, as we get dividends, you know, we'll, we'll get more franking you know, coming through. Um, but at this point in time, you know, we've nearly got enough to pay that second dividend. Um, and let's hope between now and when we announce the dividend, yeah, you know, there's more profit made. Now our ability to keep paying those dividends going forward. Yeah, really means that we have to make that money. Now, how how much do we have to make? Yeah, if you look at the December uh, NTA, which was or was that a yeah, just just under a dollar forty, yeah, and, and we're paying um, yeah fifteen and a half cents on that dollar forty. That's a little over eleven percent um, that that we you have to make. But that's the after tax cost. And so you actually have to make nearly 15.9%, nearly 16% and, and pay that tax and get the franking to be able to pay that 11%. So um, there might be a question here, it might come later. I, I saw one of the questions is, you know, why is, um, oh, actually we'll deal with that later, but dealing, you know, covering off on this question is because WAM Capital is paying such a high dividend, high dividend for its asset value, now, if the dividend was half of what we're paying, then there'll be more in the profit reserve. So, in theory, it's an equation. Now, how much, you know, how much profit you make goes into the profit reserve, and what what gets taken out is how much dividends paid. Uh, and because WAM pays such a high dividend, and that's really a function of history, and the fact that we've had the franking, so we would prefer to give that franking to our shareholders. So, if they, you know, want to. Um, they want to get any, um, you know, if it's in their self-managed super fund, they can get a refund back. They can get it back now rather than us keeping the franking. So that's why we've kept the dividend um, where it is and that's why the profit reserves between WAM Capital and the various others are different because the other ones are paying lower um, dividends or lower dividend yields on assets. So more of the money goes into profit reserve. And just finishing off on WAM Capital, like if we were just paying a, a five-cent dividend rather than 15 and a half, yeah. So then, then each year, an additional ten and a half cents would be in the profit reserve. But I'm sure you guys, as shareholders, and the feedback, please tell us if if you've got different feedback. But the feedback you know, that we've we've been getting from uh, yourselves is that, hey, look, if you've got the franking, 
Now, don't keep it in your in your pocket, in the company's pocket. Give it to us, and then we can deal with it as we like. Thanks, Jeff. Uh, Debbie, this one this one's from Debbie. Sorry, Oscar and Tobias, probably one each. Um, what's your top stock pick for the next twelve months? You go first. All right, thanks. No pressure. Um, I think I said it six months ago, and I'm going to stick with it. It's Mermaid Marine. The ticker is MRM. Um, so. What these guys are is one of the largest uh, operator of, of, of caught, uh, tugboats or vessels for the oil and gas industry. Um, it's been a, a company's had a checkered history. Um, it basically went broke twice, um, and uh, it was it, it's in its new form now. The balance sheet is is great, and there's there's um, very minimal debt, and we've got this beautiful situation now where there's a lot of oil and gas, offshore oil and gas projects that are happening at the moment a lot of offshore wind uh, farms that are happening at the moment. And effectively, there's just been no uh, construction of, of new vessel or, or tugboats over the last sort of sort of decade. So Mermaid Marine is incredibly well placed. Um, the current day rates that they're getting are starting to now tick up, but they're still 30 or 40% below where they where the peak levels so the oil, at the top of the oil and gas industry back in 2013, 2014. Um, and what's more and why we, we really like the story is it's trading at a discount to its net tangible assets, uh, which we think is around 20 or 30%. So we think there's, if you have a look at the history of the stock over the last 12 months, it has it has doubled. It had a great announcement in December. We do think there's some very positive news flow in, in the company over, over the next six to 12 months. So now very positive, that story. Yep. And my one is a company called Tuas Limited. The uh, ticker is TUA. It's uh, the... Uh, TPG Singapore. Um, it's founded by the same founder as TPG Telecom. Um, he set up a mobile company uh, in Singapore and now is rapidly taking market share away from the incumbents. It's effectively the same blueprint as TPG Telecom back in the days uh, when they competed with Optus and Telstra and Vodafone. Um, and so we believe that can, they can replicate that success uh, in Singapore, the founder owns uh, 35% of the company, so there's a strong alignment of interest. And, and there are a couple of strong catalysts uh, coming up in our view. You know, firstly, we know we think they are still uh, they're still tracking really well in terms of new uh, customer ads. And at the same time, we think you know, given they've actually over the last two years built uh, a quite a decent um, customer base, they will go into other product categories, um, opening up new revenue growth uh, drivers. Thanks, both. Now, Jeff, one of our shareholders has noticed that you've been buying. Uh, why is that? And will you be buying more? Um, well, I, I actually, when the share price was, you know, was down and, I mean, everyone you know, knew the market was strong in, in January. And, I mean, if the portfolio just you know, performed in line with the market, then it was trading, you know, pretty close to NTA. Um, you know, so, but I didn't buy any then because, yeah, obviously, you know, we were close to a board meeting to talk about dividend uh, policy, um, and um, and actually yesterday I was in a, I was in a few meetings. So the market opened, you know, the announcement was made, and it wasn't until I you know, came out of a couple of meetings I thought, oh, geez, you know, it's already the share price already gone up a little bit, and so I gave the break of the order to buy some, and, and then this morning, like uh, you know, when I was uh, he, the broker texted me and said about. You know, yeah, I said I want to keep buying. Um, yeah, let's see where the share price goes. And I said, oh, look, let's just hold off. It probably ra- ran, rallied pretty hard yesterday, so I'll wait for it to come back a little bit this morning. And then, I, unfortunately, then I've noticed it's gone up again. So I'm still, I'd like to buy some more. 
Now, because obviously I'm buying it from a super fund. Now the um, you know, the fully frank yield is obviously incredibly you know, attractive for the super fund. Now I understand at the moment, you know, there's there's broadly a year of dividend there. Now the, the, the company over that period has to make more profit for there to be more dividend. Um, but I'm happy to buy sort of closest to NTA and and get a a nice fully frank yield. So the plan was to buy more, but it just like again, it depends on the share price. Now I'm just keeping a close eye on that. It hasn't it hasn't come back yet. Thanks, Jeff. Um, Oscar, back to you. David's written in and he's asked, have you considered trading some current stocks for higher yield and growth returns? Yeah, that, thanks for the question, David. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're constantly trading um, all the time um, across the portfolio, looking for opportunities that fit our investment process. Um, if you talk about sort of the growth part of the market, I think it's fair to say I've been on hundred calls, um, you know, over the last few years when when times were really good, talking about how overvalued the technology um sector was at that point in time, both Tobias and I have always been saying that. And then over the last 12 months, we've actually had a great opportunity to buy a number of these companies. Um, yeah, that that sector has been obliterated over the last 12 to 18 months. So there's been some, and, and what's been more is that we've seen a lot of acquisition and takeover activity in that space. So one of our holdings, Tyro Payments, TYR, was um, has been in the paper a lot in terms of um, a takeover activity, but there's been many more other um, technology companies um, but so, yeah, so to answer your question, we have been positioning the portfolio in more in growth sectors such as technology sector, companies such as 360, ProMedicus, uh, Fish and Pump, um, which has done pretty well for us over the, over the last quarter, which, is, which has been great to see. Thanks, Oscar. We'll just stick with um, Tobias now from Sarah. China is opening up. Is it beneficial for iron ore and coal? And what other sectors of the market for this effect? Yeah. Yeah, thanks for the question. Um, tourism is the obvious one, which we talked about earlier. Um, we also have investments in education. So someone like IDP Education, which uh, benefits from student placement and, and English testing. Um, some of the other sectors just comes to mind, you know, include retail. We have, we have a, um, a big holding in Maya, um, which gets a lot of the you know, tourism dollars and also property. So these are some of the sectors that you know, we think will, will benefit from inbound uh, tourism. Thanks, Tobias. Jeff, Tim has written in and he says that the strategy of both WAM Capital and WAR, WAM Strategic Value, appear to be similar target. So investing in undervalued shares. Could you confirm that and explain the differentiation between the two companies? Well, I won't be confirming it because it's, it's not quite right in terms of, I suppose every investor is trying to buy uh, something cheap, um, you know, whether it's shares, property, uh, anything. So to me, that's the similarity. In terms of um, you know, how it works is WAM Capital is trying to buy, its main focus is buying undervalued growth companies. And as you've heard from Oscar and uh, Tobias, you know, they are operating businesses, um, you know, that, that employ, have employees, uh, um, you know, sell products, et cetera. Um, so, and we buy them when we can see a catalyst that we believe will change the valuation. So the logic is, Sitting cash to do we find those opportunities, and then when we find those opportunities, buy them. If the cat, let's hope the catalyst occurs, and the share price of the company gets re-rated and goes up. Um, that's sort of the main focus. And then while it's sitting in cash, you know what also WAM Capital does is look for short-term trading opportunities. It might be, you know, there might be a placement at a discount. There might be a block of stock. 
um, that's being, you know, it's the last of the line that's being sold at a discount. So, you know, picking up small profits but but consistently. Um, where WAM strategic value, you know, that has a totally different strategy. You know, that's trying to buy a dollar, well, ideally buy a dollar for 50 cents, um, but buy a dollar of assets for, um, you know, 80 cents, 70 cents uh, or, or something like that. And then, and so that's getting exposed to those companies and with the expectation that there'll be a catalyst at some point in time and that those share, share price, you know, say it's a dollar of assets trading at 70 cents, that will one day um, move from 70 cents to a dollar. And, I mean, there are sometimes some companies that are similar. I mean, WAM strategic value tends to buy other listed investment companies or listed investment trusts, you know, um, a little while ago, we're buying one of the Magellan listed investment co- trust. Yeah, it was trading at a twenty percent plus discount. It's about a sixteen percent discount now, but we're we're pretty happy that that'll eventually get to NTA. Um, occasionally, there's a there's a uh, I'm the portfolio manager for that. Um, yeah, Oscar's the portfolio manager for, for sorry the lead portfolio manager. I'm now the lead portfolio manager. Um, Oscar's the lead portfolio manager for um, WAM Capital. Yeah, with Tobias obviously uh, supporting him as a portfolio manager there, um, and and of course we all talk. Yeah, you know, we yeah you know, we're talking all the time. We sit in an open plan office, um, and one of the one of the companies that we actually Wham Strategic Value actually bought that Wham Capital um, had already had a position in. Uh, this was AMP, and this was you know, doing the analysis. It looked like about a dollar seventy, a dollar eighty of assets. Um, and it was trading around, I think, a dollar five, a dollar six. Um, so yeah, so there the, the can be a couple of stocks that are the same, but it tends to be um, n- not the case. Thank you, Jeff. Um, Oscar Kim has asked: Have you seen a slowdown in IPOs and capital raisings? And how do you see the rest of twenty twenty three for those? Uh, this is a great question, Kim. I think it's one of the reasons why I'm, I'm bullish into 2023. So, for instance, I remember after COVID, um, we were, I think we were on one of these calls and we gave an example where we sort of knew the market had come back when Cochlear, which is um, a, a, a large healthcare company, um, raised uh, did a big capital raising. And we're generally quite a big uh, a participant in, in a sort of a deal like that. And it was a big deal, and we put it put our bid in, and we got zero. Um, it was very that was very unusual, and that was a sign that oh okay that that's interesting. That means people are starting to get more positive again. Haven't seen that for about eighteen to twenty four months. And then uh, Flight Center raised uh, two hundred million dollars this 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 week. We unfortunately Tobias was doing all the work on it, and we we're about to buy the shares, which was uh, unlucky. But um, so when it came out. We're like, right, we would, would love to buy some stock and, you know, went, spoke to the stockbrokers and, and you know, tried to, tried, tried, maybe kind of say, suck up to them, try and get a better, a, a decent holding. And we got hardly anything um, and it was swamped. Um, and yeah, it's, it's performed very, very strongly. So I think it's a very good sign. Uh, to put some uh, context around that, I think we participated in five um, deals um, in WAM Capital in the, in, in the first half of this financial year. And I think that was around oh, 30 or 40 at least uh, two years ago. So that is very, very low for us. Um, so to answer your question, it's been non-existent uh, over the last 12 months given the uncertainty in the market. Uh, 2023 has started off very positively. Um, and, you know, 
we think that if we look at our, our suite of companies that we own, um, a lot of them have very, very, well, most of them have very, very good balance sheets. So we do think there's the ability to make earnings accretive acquisitions. So that's a, that's a, that should be a good catalyst for us in the next 12 months. Thanks, Oscar. Uh, Jeff, you touched on TSR earlier and John has written in and he's asked, what is the TSR over the last year or so? Uh, should he sell out? His second question. Okay. The, the, first of all, the, the, the TSR for the period to December, that's total shareholder return. That, what that includes is a dividend we paid. And, you know, obviously over that period we paid 15 and a half cents fully franked. What it doesn't um, include is you know, the, the franking credit that's a, the the, you know, the benefit of the franking credits attached to that, um, yeah, you know, which fifteen and a half, so, yeah, you know, so it's, it's probably another you know five percent, um, yeah, you know, in terms of if you get a, if you get a refund, but the TSR over the twelve months of December was down, um, you know, twenty percent, and and one yeah, you know, it was a combination of reasons. One it was you know, Wham Capital was trading at a very large premium in NTA. Uh, but also, you know, it's been a tough period to December. Um, you know, the, the first part of the last calendar year was difficult. And, and I mean, just looking at that, well, you know, you're asking Oscar and Tobias a few questions. I, I was looking at the, you know, you look at the last five years of Wham Capital's performance and, you know, obviously last year, these, these are financial years. This is to June last year, 2022. The portfolio was down eighteen. Sorry, down eighteen point eight percent. And and the interesting thing is, the year before the portfolio's up was th- up thirty seven point five. And I was looking back at the in two thousand and seven, the portfolio was up forty four point one. And then in two thousand eight, the start of the GFC, the por- portfolio was down twenty three percent. And then of course in two thousand nine, the portfolio was only down three. And then in two thousand ten, it was up. Yeah, twenty nine point eight percent. So to me, um, yeah. So it, it has been the total shareholder return. You know, it, hey, it, there's no denying it. It's been a tough. It's a tough period. You know, let's. Yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not as convinced as Oscar and Tobias, but they're on the ground seeing it. They're talking to companies. You know, one of our competitive advantages. You know, we have meetings with you know, two thousand plus companies a year, and we get the information. But, but, you know, like it could easily be a situation where, um, and I think Oscar was mentioning this at the WAM board meeting, is is mids and smalls have just been it, like it, it's sort of the baby's been thrown out with the bathwater. Now, you might find that some of the larger companies that have that have done incredibly well more recently, you know, like resources companies, you look at Combank trading at you know, close to record highs, maybe some of those larger companies are going to find it you know, tougher over the next 12 months. And some of those, you know, some of the, you know, the 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 really, you know, those mids and small companies that have, you know, have really had their share prices knocked around, you know, they will bounce back over this twelve month period. So it might, it might really be, I mean, as Oscar mentioned before, like in the US, you know, the the, the difference in valuations between large companies and small companies, yeah, you know, it's it's at a twenty five year high, and we know all these things mean revert. So when that mean reverts, there's going to be great performance in the mids and smalls compared to you know, the large companies. And hey, fingers crossed for all you know, all our you know, all us as Wham Capital shareholders. This you know, and this is what ha- what plays out this year. Yeah, I, I might just add a few uh, words there because I did 
probably uh, forget to say one of the key reasons why smalls have underperformed large in my first from the first question. Around 50% of the companies that we invest in in the, in the wider small cap space is exposed to the economy in some way. So that's sectors such as retail, automotive, property developers, building material companies. And given thoughts around a, rece a recession, the war, these are risky companies, cyclical companies, and they get sold off heavily. Now, what we're look effectively looking for now, we, we think it's going to be a tough, 2023 is going to be tough. But effectively what's happened is, and I, I, we look at this period very similar to the, what um, coming out of COVID was, where basically all the analysts following these sectors, they downgraded and, and dropped the earnings uh, estimates of these companies quite aggressively. Now, all we're simply looking for is effectively that we think they've, they've dropped them too far. They'll get dropped, but they, 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 they'll come up because they're too negative. And that's, and that's what we're looking for. And we certainly saw that with the retail sector um, over the last six weeks in particular has had a, had a, had a great run um, just because it's not as bad as what people think. Thank you. So, Tobias, we'll go to you now. Um, Kel has observed that microcaps have been smashed. Uh, are you seeing opportunities there? Yeah, de uh, definitely. Thank you for the question. Uh, it's been a couple of reasons. One, microcap companies, they are usually illiquid. They uh, are usually not in the index. So these companies typically get sold off, um, you know, with with a fall in the market. Um, we are seeing uh, quite a lot of opportunities in the space, um, particularly the companies that used to be, um, you know, a lot larger with the share price movement has fallen into, you know, I guess the hitting zone for, for microcap investing. Um, and these are companies we've known really well. We've met management. We have a long history with these businesses. And we're just redoing the work um, and, and we've actually picked up a few names and investing in some of these names in the microcap space. So, you know, I think, um, you know, overall, we're pretty bullish the microcap space over the next uh, 12 months, um, particularly with, with some of the uh, companies we're seeing. I think it's fair to say it's probably the best environment we've seen. These companies will take time to, to recover because, as Tobias said, they are at the pointy end and they are very risky. Um, but valuations are very, very low. Um, so there's a lot of opportunities there, um, which, um, yeah, it's actually pleasing to see. So the next one, Jeff, we'll just go back to you. This one's from Sally, who wrote in earlier as well. She's asked, can you discuss any overlap in the investment approach of WAM Capital and WAM Active? Oscar, you might want to comment on this as well. The, the In terms of, you know, when I was talking about WAM Capital, you know, the focus to buy undervalued growth companies where the catalyst is going to, uh, change the valuation. Um, broadly, what we call that is you know, our, our research-driven investment process. Um, and, and I mentioned then WAM Capital sits in cash, and with that cash, any trading opportunities it finds um, you know, takes advantage of uh, just, you know, an IPO or um, you know, a short, any short-term trading opportunities. So that's bro broadly WAM Capital, half of... WAM Capital, and when we announced our, our you know, with our announcement yesterday, we we showed you the research-driven and the market-driven. So the research-driven and the undervalued growth companies, the market-driven are those more short-term trading opportunities. Now, what WAM Active is, is that is just 100% short-term trading opportunities. So when we buy, you know, a, a share, you know, sorry, say we buy, um, you know, three shares in a short-term trading opportunity, then one share goes into um, you know, WAM Capital and uh, then you know, on a ratio, um, a couple of shares go into 
WAM Active. So, yeah, you, what WAM Active doesn't have is doesn't have the undervalued growth companies, and that's actually in WAM Research. So if you owned one share of WAM Active and one share of WAM Research, in theory, it should be the equivalent of two shares in WAM Capital. I know a little confusing, but that's... Yeah, that's the theory. And obviously then you've got to work out are they trading at premiums or discounts and how much profit reserves they have, you know, whether you want to buy them or not. Yeah. Thanks, Jeff. Uh, Oscar, John's written in, he says, Maya has finally come good after a number of years and although he can't give financial advice, he's asked, should he sell it? It wasn't John King, the CEO, who's written that question. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, thanks for the question. Yeah, probably. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, they've had a ripper um, and it's uh, things have finally fallen into their favour. So, you know, if we go back, it's obviously been a tough investment for us. Um, but, yeah, effectively, I think we started buying at 50 cents. Um, and oh, hit no, 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 I'm pretty sure it was 40, the 40 initial stock. Yeah. yeah. Okay, 40 cents. Well, we hit a, it hit a dollar last week um, and it's happened very, very quickly. So the Why? Um, so if you look, John King's new management team over the last five years t- took a lot of costs out, and then we had COVID. Um, and I think they probably were going to do these numbers in the COVID year. Um, unfortunately, COVID hit. Um, and then um, effectively all last year when it, when it was recovering, the problem was was that people going to all the stores, um, that was no issue. The problem with the city stores, so Melbourne CBDs and Sydney CBD and Chadston in, in, in Melbourne, and that's about, I think, 40% of uh, their earnings. Um, so effectively, what we've had is uh, coming out of COVID, people going into store, they've taken a lot of costs out, they've performed well, their competitor DJs has, has lagged, and as you can see, that's been sold to private equity as well. So that's an opportunity as well as we as we move forward. Um, so they had, a, they had a tremendous Christmas, but there is so much more to go in this business. So they did about... They're looking like they'll, they'll do about $65, $70 million of uh, profit for the first half. We think they're on, on track to do over $100 million of profit potentially this year if they get, if they, if they, if they get it right in the second half. And if you have a look at, have a look at the um, share price and, the, um, and what valuation that means, if they're doing, let's call it $100 million of profit, I think the market capitalisation is about $700, I think, at the moment, and there's about $200 million, that's about right, $200 million of cash. So we're looking at a price earnings multiple of five to six times earnings, um, which is still- and also and, and also that they can pay a two hundred million dollar fully frank dividend. Absolutely, which we'll see at the at the result. There's no doubt about that. Um, so well, mate, we might get a two hundred million dollar fully frank dividend. <laughs> <laughs> we get a little bit of a dividend. Let's not get too excited. Um, <laughs> But look, we, we we did we did trim a few. It had a great run um, over January, but no, it's a very much a core position of 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 uh, of the portfolio has been, and it's been our best performer uh, probably this year. Thanks, Oscar. Um, Jeff, Oscar, this might be for both of you. Val, who I believe is referring to Wednesday, has asked why was there a sell-off uh, the day before the announcement? It it's strange, isn't it? Well, well, actually, let's look at it the other way. It, it could the the. It wasn't necessarily a sell-off before the announcement. You know, the, the the share price had been drifting lower. Um, you know, we we you would have seen that we put a new board member on at the start of the year, you know, Angus um, you know, Barker, and, and Angus. You know, I mean, he bought some shares last week. I think I had to approve his. You know, him, oh no, it wasn't last week. The week before, 
Um, and you know, pretty much you know, the, the share price had been drifting lower. Uh, a, a few um, you know, shareholders had been you know, rang in questioning. There, there was big volume that day. So I, I got the feeling that there were maybe some people just deciding, hey, look, I'm just going to sell out. And, and that put pressure on the share price. Um, and, um, yeah, and and also, like, they, there might have been uncertainty about the interim dividend, you know, because we're coming up to the dividend payment time. But, you know, anyone, anyone who follows us closely um, you know, knows, you know, we talk about the profit reserve. We announced the profit reserve in in our monthly NTAs, you know, the profit reserve was more than what the dividend was going to be. So, you know, they shouldn't have assumed, you know, that the dividend, you know, was in doubt, but maybe that was the case. Um, and the, I mean, the plan was to actually announce the, the dividend with the, you know, the full financials in a couple of weeks' time. Um, so the share price might still be going south, you know, might, might still be going down if the, the board... Um, literally, it was when that big volume day and the share price got pushed down. Um, you know, we said, "Hey, look, we you know let's let's um, let's decide on the dividend, and let's as soon as we decide on the dividend, let's get it out to um, shareholders and announce it." So, um, you know, so no one sees the share price falling and gets sort of bluffed out of of selling it. Yeah, you know, when it was trading around NTA, yeah, you know, with potentially that dividend to come. So it was really the board, yeah. You know, to me, it was you know, proactive thinking from the board is to bring bring the announcement forward a couple of weeks. Um, you know, so everyone's you know, anyway. So th- that's that's why that that's why it happened. Oh no, sorry, that's that's the how the events occurred. So it wasn't it wasn't the fact that it just happened to be to have fall before the announcement. The announcement was brought forward. Thank you, Jeff. Um, Tobias Carrion is curious on your view on tech given the recent moves on the Nasdaq. Yeah, thank you. Um, I think as Oscar mentioned earlier, we over the last few months we have increased our exposure in tech. You know, I love to say it's because we've anticipated, you know, the Fed and the Nasdaq movements. But the reality is, um, you know, we a lot of these companies have catalysts that we've identified from a bottom-up uh, research perspective, and you know, we we invested in these businesses, thinking these these thinking these catalysts will play out uh, and the stock price will go up. Um, what you've seen in the tech market is some of the larger tech companies have outperformed significantly. So guys like ProMedicus, WiseTech, LTM. Um, the reason is they're large, they're liquid, they're more familiar and and investors gravitated towards these type of companies that's liquid. You know, um, our current view is that, you know, we're taking profits in some of these larger tech companies and rotating it into some of the smaller techs that's been left um, out of the recent rally. Um, what's facing the tech industry, I think over the next 12 months is going to be quite interesting. Over the last 12 months, it's all about reducing cost. Uh, it's about sort of controlling cost. And I think over the last few months, you've seen with some of the large tech companies in the US, they've been cutting costs. And that, that's a new narrative. Um, and, and we need to find out what does that mean for, you know, for the growth rates for some of these businesses, because ultimately, you know, they're really stress testing to see whether they can deliver similar amounts of growth rates uh, with, a, with a lower cost base. And companies that's able to, I guess, come out of this period of cost cutting and still deliver robust growth rates uh, will be the winners. And that's where we spend spending most of our time um, researching. Thanks, Tobias. Oscar, this one's from Tanya. She said AMP is a large holding in the portfolio and it's done well. 
What is your view on the company and do you think the worst is now behind it? Yeah, we do. We do think that the worst is behind it. It's going to be one of our biggest holdings, if not the biggest um, in, in the portfolio this year. And the reasons behind that is, uh, well, first, firstly, starting with new CEO, um, really clean the decks in terms of management and the board from the past, which has obviously been a very bad past. Um, she's done a tremendous job. Um, she's taken costs out of the advice business, um, also put it back and put those costs back into service and growing, actually growing the growing the, the business as well, and in, in the platform space too, and in the bank. Um, so the business feels like it's it's on that it's on track. So that's number one. But number two, and probably most importantly, is that um, well, and we just had an announcement today is that uh, two of the main, the the final parts of the sale of AMP Capital um, are due to close in the next six months, and one of them actually closed today, and that where they've received the money. And we think there's well over a billion dollars that can be returned to shareholders. Now, it's likely, given they don't have any franking, that this will be returned in the form of a, of a share buyback over the next couple of years. And given that the market cap of market capitalization of AMP is what three and a half to four billion dollars, it's quite it's quite material. So we think that'll be very very positive for, for the company. And then thirdly, and the reason why Jeff owns AMP within WAM Strategic is it's trading at a discount to its net tangible assets. So we think the true value of the assets, once the business can prove it's back on track, uh, we think it's actually worth $1.70, $1.80 a share. Um, so, yeah, very positive the company. Um, and, um, yeah, if we, if we have improving markets like we have now, it would also be a tailwind for it as well. Thanks, Oscar. Uh, sticking with you, this one's from Kayla. She says she knows we don't own mining stocks, but we do own mining services companies. What are your top picks there? It's been extremely tough watching the mining sector go up every day for the last almost six years, it feels like, but it's been turbocharged in the last 12 months. But it, mining services is the way we can play it, and we've, it's actually probably been our best sector really over the last uh, last 12 months. So Companies such as NRW, Parenti, Austin Engineering, SRG, Seven Group, uh, Index, uh, ALS Limited, um, and Wally Parsons, Mermaid Marine, which I talked about before, um, have been big contributors to the portfolio. So it was still very positive, the sector. Outside of obviously commodity prices being high, the big bet, where they've benefited over the last, it was really only the really last six months. There's still more to come through. It's just with state borders being opened up really simply and all, a lot of those COVID costs that they were incurring over the last two or three years now starting to come off. Efficiencies and pro productivity is improving. Um, and now when we've got immigration coming in, be, access to labour will also improve. So really like that that, that space um, and it should all, all those stocks should have a positive reporting season. Thanks, Oscar. Jeff, this one's from Michael. You've spoken about dividend performance. However, can you address the capital loss during the last few years? What are your comments on this? Yeah, well, the capital loss is a combination of two things. One is, um, you know, the, the share price you know, moving from a premium to NTA, you know, a, a sizable premium to, you know, not much of a premium to NTA. Now, as I mentioned, it was, you know, 22-odd percent, um, you know, say June last year, the premium and you know, a few days ago was pretty much trading at NTA. Uh, also, you've got to remember with the dividend, um, I, I was, you know, I, I was talking about the dividend a little earlier. You know, we, so the, the annual dividend is 15 and a half cents. So on the December NTA, that's about 11.1%. Now to pay a fully frank dividend is 
you know, you, you actually have to, you know, if, you, if you're going to pay tax, you know, then you have to earn another, you know, 4.8%. So therefore, you've actually got to earn 15.9% pre-tax. Um, so to maintain that dividend, we have to, um, you know, the, the portfolio has got to increase by at least 15.9% per annum. So if in a period where, you know, last year the portfolio was down, you know, 18 odd percent, you know, so then you're down 18 percent and then you've effectively got to make, you know, close to 16 percent, you know, add that to the 18 percent, you know, you've got to make that to pay the dividend. Now, in theory, as, a, as an investor, what you need to look at is, um, you know, when, when you look at, you know, your returns, You've got to look at sort of income on the, you know, the grossed up impact of the income you get. You know, if you get a refund, then it's that 15.9% um, or, yeah, or thereabouts, depending on where the share price is versus the NTA um, and capital and see with WAM Capital, because we've because the boards decide to maintain the dividend, I explained you know, the reason why they've done that is because the, the franking is better off in shareholders' hands rather than the company's. Um, position in, in, rather than the company, you, know, you, you sort of can't have both. You, you can't have a yield of you know ten percent, um, a fully frank yield of ten percent, um, and you know get much in the way of capital growth because you've effectively we've got to do at least sixteen you know, percent to deliver that uh, return to you. Thank and, you, and, Jim. And, and as we said, yeah, you know, like we talked about, you know, since inception, we've done less than that. So broadly, uh, if we're paying that type of dividend at the start, your capital would slowly decline over time by a couple of percent per annum. Because what have we done since inception? Fourteen point, well, fourteen point something percent. And actually, that's before fees. So in theory, there's one percent management fee, and then there's a bit of fees for managing the company. So you know, that way, if we're paying the, the equivalent of close to a sixteen percent, you know, grossed up. Fully frank dividend, then you'd be losing three. You'd be losing three percent of NTA per annum. So you, you sort of you you can't have it both ways. Yeah, you know, we, we could pay like two percent fully franked, um, and then you know th- then the rest of yeah you know, the other fourteen odd percent or you know well of the yeah you know, the other eleven or twelve percent then that would be capital growth. So yeah, it's really you've got to work out which one you want. Well, I mean ideally. You know, the guys can, you know, you, I mean, this is a period where the market's fallen and, you know, things are a bit more depressed. So you'd assume it'll get back to, you know, normality at some point in time. Yeah, you know, and, and you know, there'll be some decent performance uh, in the um, underlying portfolio. And obviously, shareholders benefit from that in terms of capital gain. Thanks, Jeff. Sorry, cut you off there before. Uh, Oscar, (laughs) we'll go to you. Uh, Graham has asked, uh, will you be investing in the Lottery Corp, so ticker TLC? Yeah, I'm happy to take this. Yeah, so thank you for the question. Look, we don't currently have TLC in the portfolio. It's a very, um, you know, it's a a good company in a very defensive sector. And historically, we've owned one of their smaller um, peers, uh, Jumbo Interactive. Um, you know, one of the reasons we haven't is probably because, uh, you know, we obviously have a pool of capital and we're trying to prioritize, um, you know, companies we, we think have, the, you know, the most upside. You know, the valuation for, for TLC is 
relatively elevated. So, so historically, we've prioritized some of the other investment ideas um, over TLC. Thanks, Tobias. This one's from Sterling. He said, can you please explain the process of how you go about adding to the pool of funds which WAM invests in each year and where does this money come from? Um, well, I mean, I'm, I'm, I might have a crack at answering it. I'm not sure if I'm get it right. But effectively, every time we, our portfolio is, is set and we've, we have around, call it 10% cash, and so if we're, if we're seeing an idea that fits our investment process and we like it, we will use that cash to buy that, that company. But all, all, And so your cash can obviously reduce. But then, of course, you're, you're buying and selling all the time. Um, and so that is how you're adding effectively new ideas and, and into the portfolio and deducting other ideas from the portfolio at the same time. So that is why you see the composition of the portfolio change. Um, in terms of the size, as Jeff talked about, it is is impacted by obviously the dividend that goes out every year. Um, and if we were to make do any sort of takeovers that we've seen, sort of we haven't said done, done for a while, but like in, over the last few years that we have. Um, so I think hopefully I answered that question. Um, maybe not. Um, but yeah, follow, please follow up if I didn't. Thanks, Oscar. Um, so this one is actually for you. It's from um, Ali from Livewire, who we work with quite a bit. She said, is the rebound we've seen in January sustainable or is it just a bear market rally? If you ask, uh, Ali, how are you going? Uh, thanks for the question. Um, if you asked me this two week, two or three weeks ago, I would have said a bear market rally. Um, why I'm more positive is that the Fed, the, um, what Powell said, Jerome Powell, the head of the Federal Reserve in the US, said two nights ago, it was actually quite very, it was a noticeable change in his language. He's been very, very, very negative and, and uh, on inflation for a good 12 months. Uh, and then yet, uh, two nights ago when he came out, he basically said, oh, there's only going to be a couple of hikes uh, to go. So the market's now pricing in, I think, 25 basis points for the, for the next one. Well, we've had 25 basis points. We'll do another 25 basis points. And then we have it at the Easter break, and I think it's sort of a wait and see. That was very positive and effectively did talk about um, inflation reversing in a number of sectors. And we're seeing that across all the companies we invest in. Um, the only real area that seems to be still is lagging is probably rents. Um, but looking forward, and the market's always looking forward, and that's what, you know, it's hard, but that's, you know, it, it goes against, you know, you think that, and times will be tough this year, there's no doubt about it. Um, but as I said earlier, um, analysts and and the market have factored in a very negative outcome for a number of sectors, a number of stocks within those sectors that we think won't, won't eventuate and won't be as negative as, as they think, and that could be very positive for the market in 2023. So there will be there will be um, ups and downs. There's no doubt about it, but I, I feel v I would, but we, the team feels very confident around the trajectory in the market in 2023. Thanks, Oscar. Jeff, uh, what was the so James has asked what was the 2022 calendar year performance, and what were the specific unfavourable drivers for the fund? Rather than discussing overall market weaknesses, what what, what were the companies that invested that you might call a mistake? Oscar, you might want to jump in here as well on those. Well, I think we let jump because in theory, I'm chairman. I don't manage the money. Um, you know, Oscar and Tobias, do you want to talk about? I mean, they're talking about calendar year. Um, 2022. Yeah, um, we've had plenty of mistakes. Um, and I think the last conference call, 
Oh, particularly we had that call, I think it was just, I reckon it was March, um, just after the war occurred. And I think if back then the mistake that we made going into that period, I mean, the war was very unexpected. I don't think that took everyone by surprise. There's not much we could have done there. The, we did make a mis- the one mistake we made was the, probably the speed of inflation. We didn't think it, we, th- we did think it was COVID related and it would come off a lot faster <laughs> than what it actually has. And it did persist for some time, and we underestimated how how quick and how hard the the US in particular would go on rate hikes. And so, when we talk about when I talked about the start of the call that March quarter, um, the sectors that really got hit hard um, uh, were the technology sector. We didn't have many technology stocks; that was great, but we did have a few retail stocks. And the reason was was at that time. We're coming out of Omicron and we thought, you know, this people be going back into shops, et cetera, not doing any things online. And that space got hammered um, as people worried about a recession. Um, now, what we're seeing this Christmas, actually, is those sectors that has, has actually done very well. So the biggest mistake, we always make mistakes. And I actually, if you have a look at the, the performance, I don't like making excuses, but we have actually outperformed the small ordinaries index in the last 12 months. And if our stock picking was bad, we would have underperformed the small ordinaries index. Um, so I actually think the stock picking has been pretty good. We just, it's been the wrong market for us. Um, and I think that that's, that was effectively it. Um, uh, and that, that was the big reason why we underperformed, but yeah, I mean, happy to rattle off a number of names, GED holdings, Costa group, uh, DGL, um, Codan, what else? Redbubble. Redbubble. <laughs> Um, number of mistakes, um, number of mistakes, lots of them. Um, and just, I mean, Oscar, when you're talking about that, you know, when you're talking about Myra earlier, like what price did that get down to? Well, that got down in the GFC, uh, GFC in COVID, I think it was nine cents. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah, it's, it was some extreme valuations, weren't they? And, and I think in terms of the, the, um, I think the first part of that question was what was the performance? And, the portfolio was down um, a little over sixteen percent over that over that period, and the total shareholder return, you know, obviously shareholders. Now that's not including the gross upper dividend. That was about twenty odd percent, and obviously that was um, because of it was a higher premium to NTA at the start of the year and a lower premium to NTA at the end of the year. Great, thanks, Jeff. Thanks, Oscar. Uh, Oscar, this one's from Margaret. She's asked, what's the turnover rate of your investments? So how long do you keep them? So it varies across the the, the two different strategies. As Jeff explained before, we have the market-driven or the active-driven uh, strategy uh, within WAM Capital. And often those 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 holdings would probably, vary, would, would probably be between zero to one year. Like, I mean, there's some holdings we can hold for a day. For instance, um, and, and we often, that, that often happens, but there's, there are some longer-term holdings in there. And then on the research side of the, of, of, of the portfolio, we've got our investment process really focused on undervalued growth companies, um, looking for for companies with the valuation less than the growth rate, um, good sector, and uh, good market positioning, and a catalyst to see a re-rating. Um, and all, those there's companies in there that um, I think PC Insurance has been there ever since I've been at WAM for seven years. Um, so, yeah, I would say between one and well, on, on average, it would be probably two to three years uh, holding on that side of the, of the portfolio. Thanks, Oscar. Uh, Jeff, jumping around here now, this one from our shareholder, Dave. He said, how are you going with the government's proposal to clamp down on franking credits? 
We're going well, and, and just on that, well, as well as we hope we can, um, on that, just so everyone's clear, is I think a lot of people get confused. You know, they send emails in and saying, oh, Jeff, don't worry about franking credits. Uh, you, you should worry about managing the portfolio. I don't manage the portfolio. I, I manage WAM's strategic values portfolio with Marty and Jesse. Um, but one of our, you know, one of the things we've always done since we set up our you know, Wilson Asset Management is you know, we, we, the real focus was to make a difference and it was to make a difference for our shareholders, um, you know, ourselves, uh, and, and also to stand up, you know, make a difference for the community we operate in. Um, and that's, you know, anyone who's followed us knows that over time we've done that. Now, the in terms of... Um, back in 2018, 2019, we were very vocal, you know, when the Labor um, opposition was talking about changing the franking system. Uh, and, and and we had a, you know, we did about a year and a half campaign on that. And it got very personal and quite brutal. I, I will never go into politics. Like, you think working in the corporate world's you know, tough. You know, working in the political world, it is just dirty. Um and um, yeah, so so back in 2018 and 2019, what the government was trying to do, or sorry, what the Labor opposition was proposing, was to stop individuals from getting franking. Like you could have four individuals, all retired. You know, one had it all had the same amount of money. One had their money in in um, in their self managed super fund. They missed out on the franking. One had it in an industry fund. They got the franking. One was born on the, you know, sorry, one went on the pension on the 28th of March 2018. They got the franking. The, another person was born you know, two days later. Um, so they went on the pension a couple of days later. They missed out on the franking. It was just illogical, unfair. And, and before the last election, both um, you know, the you know, Prime Minister, Albanese and Jim Chalmers, they both said... Now, publicly, that they would leave franking alone. Unfortunately, you know, they've come out with two policies. Um, you know, one is to do with buybacks, um, which really doesn't really, you know, it's it's not a it's it's not a deal buster for us. It is just um, unfair what they're doing. You know, they're actually uh, negatively impacting. It's the institutions don't participate in the buybacks. You know, we're not going to do that. You know, it's the people that are on. They're self-managed super people and the people on a tax rate of less than 30%. Um, but the thing that worries us, uh, and there's some really illogical parts of that um, legislation, which we've gone through in detail, where if it, it's, it's against the law to do a buyback now, but if you're a company and you do an off-market buyback and it's not franked and it can't be franked, then you lose franking credits. So, like, there's just some illogical parts. And the bigger part that worries us is the one that they talk about um, in terms of if any capital that is raised that is associated with paying a dividend um, is fully franked, you know, then, then that, um, you know, if that dividend is associated with any capital raising, either before or after that dividend is paid, then that dividend can't, you know, will be, the franking will be taken away from it, even if it's $1.00 then it could be a $9 billion dividend that will take that franking away. Now, what's going to happen is, is corporate Australia is going to change its behaviour. Um, and, and we've been lobbying hard. We've actually, 
um, send letters to every uh, politician now um, before uh, Christmas uh, from myself. It's 227. We've had 70-odd replies. Um, we've got, I think, 20 to 25-odd meetings. You know, we've met um, you know, the upper house, the lower house, you know, the Senate, uh, the crossbench, um, and we're explaining the situation. Now, what we, what um, I'm going to Canberra uh, on the 15th of February, you know, spend a day of meetings, uh, some Liberal and Labor politicians, uh, one of the advisors to the uh, Greens, one of the senior advisors. Um, so we're explaining just how illogical these policies are. I mean, Labor could come out with some, you know, they could, they could modify them both so they both work, but the way they've been written, they're so broad, they don't. But what they're doing is they're stopping, they'll stop companies from paying franking. So companies are going to change their behaviour. They'll invest overseas. Like, we probably won't notice it initially, but who will notice it is our children, our children's children. And also, you know, the, the great benefit of franking uh, you know, will, will, be you know, will be lost over time. You know, that, that's what we believe. Um, what, we, what, we're, you know, what we're hoping for or, or what we're pushing for is a Senate inquiry uh, because these are very complex issues. And you know, both bits of legislation, when I initially read them and, and you know, Jesse Hamilton, our CFO, when he initially read them as well, we both thought, oh, well, they're all right, but it's only when you go in the detail, you know, it's like everyone says, the devil's in the detail, you know, they, they're just too broad and they could catch. Effectively, the way the, one of the legislation is written, it could catch any company that does a DRP. Now, we don't think that these things will happen, but we've just got to fight as hard as we can you know, to make sure it doesn't. So for us, is a Senate inquiry and then, you know, we'd... You know, I, I, you know, if it keeps going, then block it in the Senate. If Labor changes, you know, it, like, I mean, there, there is there is a um, a solution, you know, for both bits of legislation to go through, uh, but go through fairly, uh, and then that sort of keeps the system intact. So that's what we're hoping for. Sorry, um, Camilla, I was just I was warming up. <laughs> Thanks, Jeff. We're actually going to stay with you. Um, back to dividends. On the way, I'm dividend policy. Roberts asked, "Why is there such a long delay in paying the dividend after each reporting period?" Yeah, I mean, the last couple of dividends we paid were in June, and and that was because there was specific, you know, for this period, the the interim dividend, the specific transactions. That's why there was a, a longer delay, and and there was quite a bit of debate at board level, you know, whether it's April. Um, or May. I mean, in the end, we decided May, and that was because you tend to find there's a lot of buying before the dividend, um, and and after the dividend, it, it, you know, tend, obviously the, the dividend value comes out of the share price, you know, plus sometimes a bit of value for the franking. So what we, as a board, we didn't want to do, push it into a short period of time. Like hypothetically, if we went ex dividend in a week, then the share price, you know, I think someone sent a question and I was talking about, you know, when will the share price get above $2? If we're paying the dividend in a week, then probably the share price would go above $2 because every, you know, it's just, you're just forcing everyone to buy you know, come dividend in an incredibly short period of time. So because it's a high di dividend yield, you know, for the, um, you know, on the, um, on the share price, we thought, hey, look, instead of bringing it back from June to April, let's, let's, 
Let's meet in the, you know, let's put it in May. So it's still, it's going to be come dividend for quite a period of time. That's the logic. Thanks, Jeff. Uh, this one's from Rod, who's been watching the profits reserves. He said, what would you expect the profits reserves need to fall by before the board is likely to feel that they need to lower the dividend? Well, I mean, effectively, the profit reserves ha has been um, low. The, the, broadly, broadly, the dividend, the board's policy or, or the way the board's been operating and it, as an observer, and I'm only one board member, is if there's franking and there's profit reserve there, pay it out to shareholders. So, um, yeah, so, so, yeah, so, so it's really whatever's in there. Yeah, the the plan is to at this point in time to keep it at that seven and three quarter percent fully franked as long as we have profit reserve and franking. Um, and uh, like if yeah, you know, if for the full year, say yeah, you know, the, the, there's no more money put in the profit reserve. So then whatever is in the um, profit reserve would be paid out. So that would be, what is it, about seven cents um, would be paid out rather than that, um, you know, seven and three quarters. So, yeah, so the, the, it's the, the board is like a lot of companies think, oh, look, we want to keep a bit of a buffer. Um, you know, we've gone past that point. Um, and we've gone past the point in terms of saying, oh, look, let's, why don't we chop it to five cents? Then instead of just having two dividends, we've got three dividends. Uh, so, yeah, we're not, that, that's not on the table at the moment for the, as far as the board's going or talking. Thank you, Jeff. Um, Oscar and Tobias, this one's from Matthew, and it'd be great if you can both um, answer this. Which company have you invested in that you're most excited about from a growth point view over the next year or so? Um, well, we talked earlier about Mermaid Marine and, and to us, uh, so that's MRM and, and TUA. Uh, another stock that comes to mind is NextEd, uh, NXD. It's the old, um, well, iCollege, and before that was called the Red, Red Hill Education. Uh, this is a great, it's one of the few plays on the ASX uh, for um, immigration of, 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 I guess, international students. Uh, these guys run a number of, of, of English language uh, colleges, and once uh, a student progresses through the English language school, they can then go on to a next ed college. Um, that, that sector got absolutely decimated, as you'd expect, through COVID. A number of, uh, of their competitors have left the industry. Um, uh, next ed is the largest player now by some, by some margin and is, is seeing a huge increase um, in students. And this you know, is good, as good as you'll ever see. They had, uh, I think, at the end of December, 4,000 students in the English language uh, uh, school, and by I think the end of January, that had increased to about forty eight hundred, I think, and, and is still is still increasing. So, we we own about nine or ten percent of the company. It's in Wham Capital and Wham Microcap. That's probably one of the um, highest growth companies we see with a very strong two to three year outlook. Um, before I hand it to Bias, I, I was just thinking as, as I was as answering that, I reckon the the best. I, I, region this will be you, you won't expect me saying this but i've never seen value on offer as i have in new zealand <laughs> um and i think it's because the, the economy has been hit harder than us um and you've also had the government change and also they're, they're they've increased they were the first in, uh, country really to start increasing interest rates and have been quite aggressive around it um so valuations in new zealand are looking probably the best we've ever seen them um and actually we have about 10 percent of wham capital in, in maybe just over in, in New Zealand, New Zealand 
um, related stocks. And that's probably the first time certainly we've ever seen it. it's barely gone over 5% in, in my time. So yeah, have a look at New Zealand. I think that New Zealand looks very, very interesting right now. Sorry, I spoke too long. I'll give it to no, you. That's okay. <laughs> just, just purely from a growth perspective, um, you know, a couple of names that's quite exciting for us. Webjet, which I talked about earlier, um, is benefiting from their hotel banks business, um, which we think is a step change due to the technology uh, upgrade. Um, you know, we think that can continue over the next uh, next um, few years. Um, Flight Center, obviously, uh, you know, a very similar company um, is enjoying the recovery in uh, brick and mortar. Um, travel agent uh, and obviously outbound travel as well. They also have a very strong corporate business that that's, has been growing uh, very steadily for a very long period of time. And we think that you know, think the market's underestimating the, the growth profile of their corporate business. Um, I mean, the only other one that has a really high uh, growth profile, both in terms of top line and bottom line, is a company called Prometicus. Uh, it provides uh, software for radi- uh, radiology um, clients, um, it, it's it's uh, it's an incredible business. The founders, I think, 20 years ago acquired the uh, the company at five million dollars, and the, the company is now worth over you know six billion dollars in, in terms of value. They've never lost a client in the in the 20 year history, um, and they they have been winning a lot of larger contracts. And you know, we think they're at the I guess the forefront of AI um, and some of the other ologies that you know could could come to them through contract awards. So these are three or three companies where we think the uh, growth looks really good. Thanks, guys. So, Jeff, back to you. It's um, an accounting question from Sean. He says, when you look at the profit reserves, is that actual cash that is on the balance sheet? No, it's not. It's just a, yeah, it's just the, effectively, the the cash and the investments are, you know, say you've got $100 million of cash and investments, say $20 million of cash and $80 million of investments, over a month period it goes from $100 million to $110 million. Now, say the, the, value, the cash stays the same at $20 million, but the shares go up from $80 million to $90 million of value, then you've still got the $90 million of shares and $20 million of cash, but what you would do is you'd put $10 million, that increase, in the profit reserve. So all of a sudden, so it would be $100 million of equity uh, and plus $10 million in the profit reserve. Um, and in terms of the portfolio, it would be $110 million, which is $90 million of shares and $20 million of cash. So you don't have to have cash to balance your profit reserve. Thanks, Jeff, for that. Uh, Oscar Tobias, uh, this one's from Marcus. He's asked what you think of Telstra. So, yeah, Telstra is definitely one for Matt and John uh, at WAM Leaders. Um uh, so it's not really we, – we focus on small caps rather than large caps, but I'll, I will answer the question as best as I can. Um, I think the outlook for Telstra is, is actually quite favourable and it's largely because around competition. And it's been, a, I guess, a race to the bottom really for in terms of mobile pricing. Um, and that seems to have eased somewhat, which is good to see. It is in the price though. It is an expensive company. Um, however, it is paying a very good dividend. So um, I think we do we I think we hold it in WAM leaders. I, I assume we would, um, but we, we don't hold it at WAM Capital. Yeah, I think when I was talking to the boys a little while ago, I don't know if it's already been reflected in the share price, but that there were some quite positive things into you know, is finally showing some signs of growth again. So I mean, yeah, email email the WAM leaders boys or email the office and 
ask the question. Oh, and they, they, they do tell that's a, it's a big holding. Yes. It's, a, it's in their top ten. And Camilla, do we have? Can we answer that question or put them in direct contact with the guys? Yes, definitely. We've got um, mm. Marcus's details, so we'll yeah. link him up with Matt or Anna yeah. and John. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Uh, Jeff, I'm with you. This one's from Matthew. He says, "Will fee management be reviewed with the growing popularity of low-cost competing ETFs?" The um, uh, well, I suppose. Well, I can speak on behalf of the manager. The plan is not to. The I mean, broadly, you've got a choice. You know, you go for the ETF, um, and that delivers you the market, um, you know, return in a trust structure, um, or you want an actively managed. You, know, you go to a, an active managed portfolio or a um, a listed. Or you can have an active ETF where the the manager gets paid a, a higher fee for managing the pool of capital. Um, or you know, another structure is the listed investment company structure, and um, you know there's no plans on on changing the fees, either reducing them or increasing them. Thanks, Jeff. Uh, Oscar, back to you. This one's from Adrian. He's wondering how long Wham is going to hold Fisher and Parkle for. Um, well, it's a, it's a, until we can't see any catalysts is the answer. I mean, it was a fabulous uh, call. One of our best um, at the end of last year, Sean in particular, did a lot of work on it. It's a great company, Fisher and Paykel, um, healthcare in New Zealand, but it is very expensive. Um, and we saw a 30% upgrade to its earnings uh, just in, in the middle of January. So it was our biggest holding in WAM Capital at that time at around uh, 3%. We have, we, have, we have sold a few um, over the last couple of weeks, but, yeah, it remains a core holding. We definitely th see the... Um, risk to the upside in terms of earnings. I think their, their current um, operating margins around 23 24%. And once, I guess, the company is targeting, it used to do 30%. Um, and a lot of the analysts aren't forecasting that for a number of years until, and are still forecasting a lot of the issues around freight and logistics and so forth, impacting the cost base. And we actually think that that margin target will come earlier. So yeah, we, it's, a, it's a core holding in the portfolio, great company, but it's also very expensive. So we do trade around the position. Thanks, Oscar. Jeff, uh, this question's from David. He's asking, why did you sell down your personal holding in WAM Capital before the takeover of West Oz and Ozgrowth? Uh, okay, why did I sell down my personal holding before the takeover? Oh, yeah, broadly, I mean, we sent an email out to shareholders just uh, saying that, um, yeah, that... that the transaction was going to happen and we thought there might be a bit of weakness in the share price. So I, I think I had 120,000 shares or something like that um, and I sold them and, yeah, that's right. And then, and then after that, a few people got confused because the um, WAM strategic value ended up with a shareholding, a large shareholding um, in WAM Capital because it had shares in both um, Ozgrowth and West Oz and then that WAM Strategic also sold and um, broadly WAM Strategic's um, you know, investment strategies, if, if it owns any shares that are taken over by other WAM entities, it'll sell. The only, um, and that, that was sort of refined after um, the WAM Global took over Templeton's uh, and the WAM, um, 
and we when strategic really didn't have a strong view on selling or going it was probably there was a six percent benefit for staying uh in retrospect um, it actually should have gone. So, you know, WAM Strategic still has a big holding in WAM Global, which there's no, doesn't get a fee on it. Um, but the plan will be to, you know, sell at it at some point in time. So that was, that was, that was that. And, um, yeah, but I mean, then someone, you can, you can also ask, like, why did I buy WAM Capital at, I think, $2.10 or something like that. If I, Unfortunately, if the crystal ball was as clear as you know, to everyone, we knew exactly what the market was going to do, you know, then we'd be buying at the bottom and holding and then selling at the top. Thanks, Jeff. Uh, Tobias and Oscar, this one's from Peter. He says, what do you think of Adairs with its very large dividend? Um, Adairs... Uh, we don't we don't own the shares. Um, I think that, that we think they probably would have had a pretty good Christmas period. They're having any issues with one of their acquisitions, um, uh, Mocker, I think it was one of their, which was focused on e-commerce, and they came out and admitted to that the AGM. Um, the share price has run though, like the rest of the retail sector, um, and so in anticipation of a, of a good update. So you just need to be mindful of that, um, and also just generally focusing. With retailers, because they're highly cyclical companies, it's probably best not to look at the, the dividend yield at, um, as a reason to buy the company largely because you can have big cycles of, of outperformance and underperformance, would say. Sometimes that yield isn't actually real, if that makes sense, because we might be going into a tougher period. Um, so, But uh, overall, I think we'd probably look fine here, Adairs. Um, but we're, we're, as I said, we don't, we don't own it. Thanks, Oscar. Uh, this one is for all of you, um, and Quinton has asked, do the portfolio managers of, uh, managers of WAM have skin in the game? Absolutely. We are all buying yesterday. Um, but it's funny, like, I, I got asked this question in Perth after our, our, um, our presentation. Actually, yeah, I was in the presentation, actually, and they, and they, asked, they asked me that question, and, and at the time I said, oh, you know, I, I look after WAM Capital, but in terms of the shares I own, it's the least – in terms of quantity out of the eight listed investment companies. And I think people were sort of confused by that and worried by that. And I've got all these people coming up to me after the briefing going, why would you say that? And I go, well, it's simple because it's trading at a premium to its net tangible assets. And the day it goes to a discount, it'll be my largest holding. <laughs> um, so, yes, all the team was buying yesterday. So um, we all have a lot of shares. But before that, like, yeah, I mean, yesterday was an anomaly, but before that, Oscar, before, oh, before. Like, forget yesterday, like before that. Oh, Please. yeah, yeah, absolutely. We've been buying over the last few months. Um, so, yeah, I mean, as I said before, we're very confident on the, on the, on the holdings that we have. And um, I think it's, it's fair to say that, you know, we have gone through a, a period historically where we haven't really seen for some time with this small cap underperformance. So we do think... Some mean reversion is a fund manager's best friend or worst worst friend. I would think we're hoping that it's going to be our best friend in the next uh, in the next period. Great, thanks. Uh, Ali's asked another question for you, Oscar. She said, "Flight Center is the most shorted stock on the ASX at fourteen point twenty two percent short interest today. What are the shorters getting wrong?" You to, you do yeah, it. so um, a lot of that uh, short interest is actually. Uh, hedging out a convertible bond. So the, the real short interest is, is a lot lower. I guess prior to COVID, um, 
you know, some of the challenges uh, Fly Center business faced was around the brick and mortar travel agents business. Um, um, at the time, you know, the corporate business was going really well, but the leisure business was was languishing because, you know, I guess the stru- structure of the client brick and mortar stores. You know, over the last three years during COVID, you know, they've really, you know, pulled off the Band-Aid, you know, reduced the cost base um, to try to right-size the, the cost of that business. At the same time, the corporate business has continued to go up. So in our view, um, going forward is that, you know, you're, fi- you're going to finally see the fact that the flight center, one part of the business is not going backwards. So you're going to have two growth drivers um, going forward. And I, I think that's perhaps, you know, a lot of the shorters are waiting to see whether they can actually deliver on that promise. You know, they've given uh, a 2025, uh, FY25 target of, of making a 2% uh, profit before tax, um, uh, 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 so 2% uh, yield on the total TTV um, from a profit before tax, and that's that equates to roughly around five hundred million dollars of profit before tax. So if they do hit those numbers, you know we, we think you know the shorts will have to cover. I think just a simple um, support spice who's done a tremendous amount of work on the company. The analysts that are forecasting flights and I think have one point six percent profit margin yeah. in their numbers, and the company's told you that they're, they're aiming for two percent. <clears throat> so that's an example of what we were saying before that the analysts have assumed a very negative scenario. I mean, if they do 1.8%, the company will be disappointed, yeah. but we'll be very happy because analysts will be upgrading their numbers. Jeff, this one's from Alan. He's he's asking if part of the WAM premium unwinding is due to shareholders that came to WAM cap via takeovers in FY21-22 are selling down. And does the increased number of WAM shareholders make it harder to sustain the dividends? Um, yeah, so two parts to the question. The first part is, um, you know, with the takeovers, when we've done script takeovers and we're offering the companies we take over their shareholders' shares in WAM Capital, uh, has that been had an impact on the premium and discount? Um, and the the you tend to find it has a short term impact, but normally what happens is it bounces back. Um, you know, we we made a takeover bid from Mason. Um, there was no, Mason was, um, you know, it was a great deal for us. You know, we're buying 80 cents of assets, cash assets, and we're paying 76. So we're getting, you know, 5% effectively for free cash in a short period of time. Uh, and also there was a lot of franking. Uh, that was a secondary benefit though. Um, yeah, so, and and with that, the reason I use a Mason as an interesting one is because, that was an operating company that sold its business to Optus, so it was just a it just effectively a cash box in the end. So effectively, no one, everyone that was a shareholder of that was a was not a not a long term shareholder in Wham. And you did see, you know, the share price. I think it was trading at you know, two dollars thirty five. I think it might have gone down to two dollars eight or two dollars you know, uh, nine, and then it bounced back up to two thirty two thirty five. So. Yeah, it, it was obviously some short-term pain, but but it, that was beneficial for the for the company. Um, and the interesting thing is, then when with the West Oz takeover, you know that it came under pressure. Um, but then, of course, then the market came under pressure. Uh, and with the West Oz takeover, there was a number of you know they were invested in listed investment companies. So even though it was resources, they still you know, new listed investment companies like Yield, etc. 
So there was a bit more of a marriage, you know, a logical marriage there. So you know, they actually have boosted NTA, and I, I use the example of the West Isles deal in terms of you know, adding you know, six cents of NTA effectively for nothing and, and with a secondary benefit of 5.2 cents of franking, um, yeah, which shareholders are getting some of the benefit in this in this um, result. So, yeah, I... I don't think, you know, long-term that, that's the case. And in terms of when we make these takeovers, obviously we get the assets as well. Um, so our ability to pay the dividend is really um, the underlying ability of the of Oscar, you know, Tobias and their team um, to perform. So... Um, yeah, so if they're, if they're up 10%, if they're managing $100 million and the assets are up 10% or managing a billion dollars and the assets are up 10%, you know, then in theory your ability to pay a 10% dividend is the same. Thanks, Jeff. Um, Oscar and Tobias, Alex, who's just joined, you mentioned a few before, but if you could touch on some more, where are you finding the most value right now sector-wise and can you provide some stock examples as well? Yeah, well, as I said before, country-wise, New Zealand, definitely. Um, Fletcher Building, Vulcan Steel, Tourism Holdings would be our, our, our three major holdings there. Uh, but the, the, I think just generally that, that that market's looking very, very attractive. We're actually going over there in March uh, for a few days. Um, building materials is a very interesting sector right now. And the reason is is because, again, analysts have really cut their numbers hard, as you mm-hmm. expect, with house prices falling off and approvals and new housing falling off. Um but again, we think that they've just cut it too much. And interesting, looking at something like a, a company that's been around for a very long time, uh, Fletcher Building, I think is trading at nine times earnings on these depressed on these depressed earnings. Now, usually when building materials, there's very cyclical companies. When you're on depressed earnings, they should actually be trading at a higher valuation as as the earnings as the market expects the earnings to come back. Now, the, at the moment. The analysts are expecting the earnings to come back probably three or four years, three or four years away. We actually think they'll come back in probably two or three years' time. So we 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 like that sector. That looks very very attractive. Um, stocks we own there would be CSR, uh, Borrell, Mars Group, which is a key holding of ours. It's fallen a lot, but is I mean it looks very very cheap here. And uh, Fletcher Building. Yeah, and, and for me, I mean uh, aged care, but specifically Estia Health. Um, you know, it's it's a uh, you know, the health, uh, HK industry has sort of had a very, a very long period of negative, you know, um, negative news coming out of the Royal Commission into aged care and obviously more recently COVID. You know, we're sort of at this juncture where, you know, we believe the government will have to uh, fund the space um, a lot more um, and that benefits the uh, that benefits the um, aged care players who are, who are very um, efficient. Um, in terms of catalysts for something like SDA Health, you know, they're buying other assets at very, very attractive prices. Um, I mean, one of the only, um, I guess, consolidators in the space. You know, the management is really good and, and they're, very, uh, they're very efficient. So we think they can acquire these uh, assets, turn it around and continue to run their, these assets effectively. And over time, you know, continue to grow the, the asset base of their business. Great. Thanks, guys. Um, this one's from Thomas. He said, do you have any more investments in Bitcoin-related companies and what happened with Iris Energy? <laughs> no, no, we don't. And I know everyone will be very thankful I said that. Um, look, uh, the, the, 
the shame with Iris Energy was I think it's fair to say we didn't it was a very, very, very small investment uh in WAM microcap that got very, very big because the Bitcoin price just went crazy. Um and they, they listed it on when they and their IPO at a very, very high price. So um the answer is, so what happened was when that occurred, about three, I think it was three days before the IPO, we actually found out that we were locked up for another six months because of, of trading rules in the, in, in the NASDAQ in the US. Like if, if, if the day it listed, we would have sold a lot of shares if we could. So we, we had to sit on that for six months. And um, I remember we were in Hobart and uh, Will, who's been on a few calls, who's our dealer, um, we, myself and him stayed up, uh, I think, till 2 a.m., uh, 2 or 3 a.m. that night until we could trade it. And I think the shares were trading at around oh, $6. And we sold about 80% of our holding then, um, which was a great move in hindsight um, because I think the shares hit a, a $1, I think, uh, about a month ago. They've rallied since then um, with the Bitcoin price. But in summary, uh, no, we don't have any Bitcoin-related uh, investments. And I should add, at six dollars, when we sold all our, our holding, um, we actually doubled our money on, on on the investment. So we're actually very happy with how the investment went. Um, so, but yeah, unfortunately, it did get a lot of uh, uh, unwarranted press, unfortunately, because we had actually sold the position in, in May. Thanks, Oscar. Um, this next one from James, either for Jeff or Oscar. How are net inflows treated when they come in? Are they automatically invested at the asset clash? cash split or is it something else yeah and and how inflows would come in is you know, if we take over another company and then we don't you know oscar looks at the and the boys look at the portfolio they don't like it so say they sell it all and turn it into cash or when we took over mason you know we got just cash back uh but we're not like a um you know a unit trust we're not getting you know people putting money in applications on a monthly basis. So, Oscar, do you just want to go through that, how you deal with that? Uh, yeah, well, but effectively, as you said, so when we well, we give the example of West Oz, really, um, they had a lot of resources companies within the portfolio. And as I said earlier, that's not really our sweet spot. Um, we focus on industrial companies. Um, they had, they did have, so, so a lot of those, well, I'd say 90% of those, those names have been sold out of the portfolio. Um, but they did have some mining services companies and we inherited those and they've actually done quite well. So that's Austin Engineering, NRW, Parenti. Um, they've been very good for us. Um, so we kept them. Great. Thank you. This next one is from Paul. Um, Jeff, we'll go to you. What should a typical company that accumulates franking credits but doesn't pay a dividend, for example, Seven West Media, do to help their shareholders? Um well, if the government's legislation comes in, they're going to find it pretty tough to get those that franking out because the only way they can, will be able to get that franking out going forward, if the government succeeds in its legislation, will be by borrowing money. They can't, you know, as I said earlier, any money that's raised that can be associated with the dividend payment, it could be in 10 years' time or... It could have been 10 years ago. Um, so I, maybe I'd throw it over to Oscar. Have you got a view on what the guys should do? I mean, in theory, they should you know, pay it to shareholders. And like Solly Lou in Premier, he had a similar situation. You know, Premier in the very early days when it was a cash box that had an enormous amount of franking, 
uh, but he was he's able to be you know put an operating business in there and successfully paid it out over time. Obviously, Seven's got an operating business. Oscar, have you got any views on that? Yeah, I would say yes, so they should. However, in specifically the Seven West Media's um, case, um, their balance sheet is you know they do have a little bit of leverage. So um, you know they, they would have pulled dividends through COVID uh, from memory. Um, I think they might pay a small one now, but they probably don't have the, the balance sheet to pay dividends. And secondly, this is probably more importantly, um, because they're in structurally declining uh, industries such as uh, television and newspapers, the CEO of, of, of Seven probably is looking to grow the business to get growth. So dividends, they're probably looking at the valuation of Seven at the moment, which is I think is at six times earnings, Channel 9's at 12 times earnings, and saying to themselves, well, we probably should acquire uh, to get some growth, and then that's the upside to the share price because then it'll, it'll get to a Channel Nine valuation. Um, so I would say that that dynamic at play for Seven West Meat is possibly, um, and we don't own the company, possibly why they're then choosing not to uh, pay out uh, the Frankie or pay out uh, dividends. Oh, and also, you've got to remember, like to me, the Franking. If if the owner, if you're a high net worth individual. Then and your tax rate is above thirty percent, you know, which the high net worth obviously the tax rate's what forty eight percent or something like that. Then you don't want fully frank dividends because you've got to pay that other eighteen percent tax. And I think that's what you know, is, is unfortunately missed. It's the people that are on a tax rate of lower than thirty percent that gets the benefit of franking. Obviously, super funds do, um, but individuals do too. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, Oscar. Um, this next question is from Keith. He is wondering if Wilson Asset Management will be holding face-to-face -face shareholder meetings this year. That's the plan in May, mid-ish mid mid May, I think, or early-ish early -ish to mid-May. Mid and, oh, and I think we're, what the plan broadly is, and it's still early, well, it's not that early days, but it's, it's capital cities, um, and then I think we're going to do the regions potentially later in the year, you know, sort of the, all the more regional cities. So you're, um, you're right, Jeff. That is that is the plan, and we'll be sending out more details in a few weeks. Yeah. So that actually brings us to the end of our questions, um, Jeff. If you want to say any closing words to everyone today. Look again. Look, thank you very much. And I, I've, you know, the great thing with technology, I, I saw the, you know, the hundreds and hundreds of shareholders that have um, rung in, and I know it has been, you know, an hour and forty six minutes. So it's been a long question and answer, and I've been, uh, I've been pleasantly surprised. I think the reason why we kept going past the hour mark is because we, we virtually had no one, um, you know, dropping off. So. Now, thank you for engagement. You know, obviously, any questions you've got, um, it is your company. Please communicate to us um, any questions and, and we'll um, answer them. Look, thank you. you know, it has been a very difficult period. You know, let's, let's hope um, you know, that the mid and small cap sector um, you know, performs. And then, obviously, you know, we've got people that have, you know, as you've seen by Oscar and... Um, yeah, and Tobias's you know, commentary, how passionate they are about what they do, and everyone else at Wilson Asset Management's the same. So, you know, and Camilla, you know, our senior corporate affairs, one of our senior corporate affairs leaders, you know, thank you very much for you know, doing a fantastic job on the Q&A. Thank you, guys.